Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. My name is Jason A. Meiske. I'm a thriller author and host of the show. This is episode 50. Thank you so much, authors, readers, uh, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back week after week, for subscribing to the show, for leaving wonderful, wonderful feedback that you're leaving me, sending me messages about what you think of this episode and that. I'm just totally blown away and just feel so humbled that that you're enjoying the show. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you to all of you out there listening and uh, and just coming back. Uh, 50 episodes, we're halfway to 100. I'm I'm looking forward to you know, this is going to be our biggest year yet. You know, the first year was a lot of trial and error, um, learning as we go, so to speak, and uh, had a couple weeks that we missed out. I think we finished out 2018 uh, with 48 episodes, and uh, you know, with that we missed two weeks in there. We've missed one week this year because of illness, but going forward. I have no intentions of missing another episode, and actually, we'll see what happens. Uh, right now, I have a very full plate of episodes on my on my hard drive. Uh, we, we've had a lot of interviews recently, and we'll see what happens if we get if we continue to get as many interviews as what I've got lined up right now. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do a bonus episode every once in a while to uh, catch up, and maybe we'll hit a hundred by the end of 2018. What do you think? How, would that, how cool would that be? Anyway, I, I'm just I'm just thrilled. I, I'm so so happy that you are back again. Uh, if you if this is your first time listening, this is the show where authors come to read a sample chapter from one of their books. We do an interview. It's a short and sweet interview, very casual, just you know introducing you, the listener, to a new author that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. We've had self-published uh, first-time authors. We've got authors who have been around for a long time and done extremely well. We've had, had a few celebrities last year. Uh, you know, and on this show, regardless of their level of experience, they come on, we do this interview, we have a really nice time, and then they read a sample chapter. That way, you get to hear that chapter the way the author intended it. You get to have, have a little sample of what the book is like. And then from there, you can follow the links and pick up a copy for yourself. That's what this show is. It's intended to help authors of all walks. You know, we're, we're all, all of us authors are working our best to put together a good story. And then once that story is done, unless you have a major marketing campaign behind you with a lot of money, uh, a lot of times it's up to the authors to take care of things themselves. You know, hey, talk it up. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell them to share it with friends and family. You know, so in my own humble way, this is my way of helping authors kind of get the word out there that they wrote a book. It's available right now because that is my caveat. The book must be published and uh, now you can go pick up a copy of it. You get to hear a little sample to see if you like it or not. And uh, my hope is that you find yourself a favorite author or two or 10 or 15 you know, certainly a new favorite book uh, because of this show. And uh, if you subscribe, you're going to get a new episode download directly into your 
you know, whatever device that you're listening to. Uh, it'll download every Tuesdays when we're uploading the episodes. Uh, you can leave us a review on whatever your favorite is. We're available on all platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, Google. Gar- yeah, Google. I thought I wrote down Gargoyle. I can't read my own notes. Oh, my gosh. Whatever Gargoyle is. I don't think there is a, such a... Is there a, a, a platform out there called Gargoyle? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you can listen to the show on Google. Uh, you know, everywhere out there. Uh, it, it's available on just about everything. Uh, and what's really cool... Something I've been talking about with some authors and other some other places here lately is all of the episodes are still available. They're evergreen. It's not like you heard something on the radio and now it's gone. You can go back and and still download old episodes. You know, if you are familiar with podcasts, then this is something you're well aware of, but maybe this is your first time. You can go back, check out the website. I've actually been working really hard lately on updating. Uh, all of the old episodes, because uh, everything got all the episodes themselves carried over to our new host when we moved in October. But I realized later on, not all of the information and the artwork uh, for the book covers, not all of that did. So here lately, this this past week, I've been working really hard to get a lot of that moved over. I still have another, I think, thirteen or fifteen episodes to finish up. Um, but it's I'm having still that's fun too because I know one of the books that we uh, interviewed the title changed and they they updated the uh, the cover photo so you know now now you have brand new information about this book that you're going to hear about anyway you can go back and check out old episodes and find an author that uh, that maybe you haven't heard of before it it's it's what's called evergreen it's always new to somebody and it could be new to you as a listener right now anyway uh, in old news if you've been following along, you know, we were going to be, we were looking into a potential move again uh, with our friends over at MB Radio. It didn't work out uh, through no fault of theirs. This was totally uh, my own decision to uh, stay on my own. Uh, and we're still good friends. They've been doing such amazing stuff, helping out uh, people affected by the government shutdown. And because this is a, it's a veteran run company this the radio show all of the people who work there all of the people who are doing shows they're all veterans like myself and they've been raising funds and raising all kinds of help uh, for people affected by the shutdown so it's I, I wish them all the best they are amazing people make sure you go to mbradio.com and check them out because uh, they have some really really cool stuff going on uh, locally though here in in Missouri there is another uh, network called pop goes the culture network they uh, just recently had reached out to us they started sharing our episodes effective last week episode 49 they're a local network that f- heard about us uh, we actually uh, met each other on Twitter and began chatting uh, about the winter storms a while back and uh, next thing you know they just they're like hey we're gonna it, it, would you mind if we shared your episodes so I, you know, it's it's awesome. I, they're a bunch of fun guys. I've been listening to a couple of their podcasts that they've got going on there. I'm a big fan of the uh, Alamo Draft House uh, podcast, where it's it, I mean that's a movie theater. I'm I'm all about. I love movies, and uh, this is a really cool show. Check out their uh, their network as well. I'll have links for both mbradio.com and Pop Goes the Culture Network in the show notes. So uh, big thank you to those guys. For me personally, my big news right now is. I am talking to you while listening to my voice, uh, as sultry as it is, <laughs> on my 
very fancy new headset that my wife surprised me with today. Uh, I have an old, old, old $10 headset that I've been using for quite some time, and it was starting to fall apart. And I'd mentioned a while back that, like, oh, yeah, I probably ought to uh, hit up the sponsor and see about maybe getting a new headset. But uh, and I had pointed out to my wife a set that I liked. And next thing you know, you know, she surprised me. It's a really sweet set. You know, I don't know, if, if you're on, if you follow us on Twitter, then uh, you saw a picture of it earlier. Uh, shared that on her, and uh, she also gave me a bag of uh, conversation hearts. That's my that's my Valentine's candy. I mean, that's the way I roll. I will, I will eat those things like you won't believe. And again, if you are following the show and you heard me last week, I will apologize for how excited excitable I got. Uh, having eaten a big bag of M&Ms as I was preparing to record this section of the show. <laughs> and so I did not realize quite how excitable I got until listening to the episode uh, like a day later. <laughs> my daughter was listening to me, or listening along with me, and she was laughing along. It was like, oh my gosh, Dad, is what she was saying. She says, so I'm rationing my conversation hearts because apparently there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a shortage of them this year. I, I don't know whatever that's my valentine's candy um you know feel free to send me some out there y'all can send them to me care of the show <laughs> if you feel like that feel so inclined anyway but um uh, yeah my wife is awesome uh, i love her and she uh she takes really good care of me and, and uh, she's been particularly proud of uh my work with the show lately and uh, some things that have been going on in the background things that i'm changing things that are coming up that you're going to be hearing about really soon and um, making some waves. And I'm really, really happy, and I can't wait to share more information about that with you. And now a word from our sponsor. You Store All out of Warrensburg, Missouri, is the absolute premium place for any kind of self-storage needs in the Warrensburg area. Located near Whiteman Air Force Base, You Store All provides both non-climate control and climate control units with a variety of sizes available. The climate control is true climate control, meaning it has air conditioning, heating, and dehumidification. Plus, the buildings are locked up outside office hours for added security. The entire facility is fenced in with computer-controlled gates. You have your own private gate code. And with almost 60 cameras recording 24 hours a day, you know that your goods will be stored safely and securely for when you come back. Check them out online at ustoral.net. That is the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. And yeah, big thank you for Ustoral. Been our sponsor for over a year now, and uh, they're on board for another year. So huge, huge thanks to those guys. We have the absolute privilege this week of speaking with brand new author L.M. Revere. Not only is she a big Lord of the Rings fan, but she is also a photographer, editor, and web designer, uh, does a lot of writing, and uh, yeah, this is her, her very first book, has just come out, uh, it's doing really, really well, I had a blast talking with her, and <laughs> we actually have, I think I think the interview itself, everything went on for about an hour and a half, and uh, I had a lot of fun getting sidetracked in our conversations and discussions and going from one thing to another thing to we're talking about this and then it's Goonies and then we're talking about this and we're talking and also it's like her um, 
her inspiration for her uh, her book, which is called The Sons of Mill. It's book one of the Innisfail cycle. Uh, her inspiration came from old 80s TV. There was an old 80s TV show. You maybe remember it's called The Robin of Shearwood. And I vaguely remember it myself. For me, going back to the 80s, uh, for me, it was uh, V, the miniseries, and Beauty and the Beast with Linda Hamilton. Uh, you know, those were the shows that like really, really inspired me. But we're not talking about me, are we? We're talking about <laughs> Miss Revere. Uh, anyway, but we had a, we had a wonderful t- uh, conversation talking about her inspirations and how this book came about, how long it took her to work on this, because it did take her quite some time. And uh, the book just came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, like I said, it's doing really, really well, and uh, I wish her all the best. You're going to really enjoy the, the chapter that she does uh, today. It's got a really great cliffhanger to it. Um, speaking of, and you're going to hear about this in the interview, but I want to make sure and, and really push this home that she also has a big giveaway going on right now. Follow her on Goodreads. She has an autographed copy giveaway going on on Goodreads, and it's not just one book. It's not two books. It is 10 books. Now, I'm not saying, you know, one person's going to win 10. No, it's 10 winners. Holy cow. I, I've never heard of anything like that before. This is an awesome giveaway. So make sure you follow the link. Go to Goodreads and follow her. Go down to her author page and you can see the giveaway. It's going on. It's going to be going on for the next few weeks until February 17th. So, Make sure you go and check it out because you want to sign up for this. Uh, you know, it, it's an, a, an adult epic fantasy, and you know you just don't get your hands on autographed copies of these kinds of books that often. So make sure you go check it out. Let's get on over to our interview with L.M. Revere. Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. This is, as I uh, as I said earlier in the intro, this is episode 50. It's a very exciting episode for me. And today I am here with a, a guest that we've been playing tag back and forth for week after week after week with illness and other things. And finally, I have her on the show, L.M. Revere. Welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited to finally get you on here. I can't believe the, the grief we've gone through trying to get this set up. Blue season. <laughs> <laughs> the oh bane of all of this. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Well, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is L.M. Revere, and I write adult epic fantasy. And my first book, The Sons of Meal, is out now on Amazon.com. I also have a Goodreads account in case anybody wants to check it out. It has full descriptions on it basically just here to discuss the book and and get interact with everybody and say hello <laughs> fantastic now during the day uh you are a photographer writer editor and web designer it, you sound like you've got a full schedule throughout your day <laughs> yeah i i think i uh <laughs> i think i have too many things on my plate uh, most days um <laughs> i am i'm a freelancer so I basically just perform whichever task <laughs> tends to make me money at that particular time um, <laughs> to make a living, uh, you know, liberal arts degrees. Woo. Uh, so <laughs> we kind of got to be as flexible as possible. And I have worked very hard to make myself as flexible as I know I could be. For photography, I'm typically a landscape photographer. I sell prints of my work and I do some commission work. 
but uh, not a whole lot of product design or product display. Most of that I do um, if I'm going to build a website, I do web design and web copy, web development, et cetera. And then on the side of that, I'm also a developmental editor for other authors who are seeking to publish or query or what have you. Very cool. Jack of all trades, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's something to be said about staying busy because a year ago when I started the show, I was working two jobs up until just recently, writing, uh, taking care of very, very full house. And then I thought, hey, I'm going to do a podcast. And for some reason, it still, it worked. Like just having all these things to do. I really enjoy that staying busy part of it. And it's like it keeps yeah. the, creative, the, the creative juices flowing. So is, do you find that as well? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and sometimes it's unfortunate because you'll be working for somebody else and you've got five <laughs> things on the dock for the day and you're like, wait a minute, I have a brilliant idea. <laughs> when I'm done to get it down. Yes. By the end of the day, you're like, we'll have to save that guy for tomorrow. But I mean, yeah, I, li I like to stay busy. I don't like to, um, I, if I'm sedentary for too long, I feel guilty, honestly. And sometimes if I'm, if I'm reading or enjoying myself too much or going out with friends too much or any of that, I will, I will feel guilty that I'm not working. So, um, and if I'm not, and that means working either for other people or for myself, you know, so like mm -hmm. I prefer to stay busy and I do find that the editing jobs that I do, the things that I do on the side, especially photography really lend to my writing. Um, for my photography, as I said, I do landscapes. So I take these, you know, huge long exposures and it's usually like full absorption sunsets where I, you know, dial in all of these uh, commands into my camera. So you're pulling out maximum saturation. And I feel like, and, and motion, and I feel like every single time I take one of those pictures, that's, I'm also writing. So, you know, vivid sunsets, uh, brilliant blues, bright greens, you know, like shadows creeping in from the corner, things like that. I'm always telling a story there. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm building a website, it's the same thing. So I feel like all of the things that I do come from the same place, almost. I don't know if that makes sense. It, it does. It does. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the first time somebody told me that, uh, you should you should probably be a writer because I, I remember sitting on a porch when I was like in my young 20s and I it was like really early in the morning I lived way out in the country I sat down with a cup of coffee and there was deer going across the yard some uh, geese flew overhead and I'm telling the people at my work that day about it and they're like who cares about that I'm like well I thought it was really fascinating and I'm telling all the details and they're like yeah you ought to be a writer with all that and it kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I love all these details. This is, this is really, I, I just love the experience. So we empathize. I'm, I'm empathizing with you. I absolutely agree. Um, life, you know, art, it comes from life. So for me, yeah. anything that's atmospheric lends to my, to my work. It lends to anything that I, that I paint, that I take pictures of, that I write, whatever. So, I mean, for sure like those small moments, those things that people might overlook as they're busy or they're rushing around, like if the sky's a certain pink or a certain color, color, you know, um, certain coral type of color, like I will stare at it <laughs> until it's gone, you know, <laughs> yeah. and think of all these adjectives and words and you know, things will just swirl in my head until they come together, coalesce into some kind of artistic, you know, like blurb or art form or a sentence or something, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm always, always, always creating something. Yeah. And then, and, and uh, you know, touch back on our original topic. If I don't feel like I'm doing that, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's, I guess that sounds, it might sound weird to some people, I'm sure. Well, maybe to some people, but it's, it, it's, I think as authors and creators, uh, creative people ourselves, 
you know, it, there's influences all around this. And like before the show, we were talking about your influences go all the way back to like childhood TV uh, from back in oh, the yeah. 80s. The uh, 80s you know, yeah. So I mean, are basically one glitter drenched, <laughs> you know, fantasy was, I mean, I feel like fantasy really hit it, you know, stride in the eighties. I really do because they had the technology to make these things gorgeous and vivid and beautiful and people could understand them, you know, yeah. whereas if you tried to read Tolkien in the sixties, people were like, what? <laughs> I mean, my grandmother told me she tried to read the, the Lord of the Rings when she was young and she was like, I just don't understand this weird epic poem that I'm reading right now. <laughs> like, none of the descriptions make sense. I can't visualize it at all. And nobody's ever going to read this. And I was thinking to myself, well, I would read it. And, and then, you know, as I started writing the Sons of Mule as a teenager, this is well before the Lord of the Rings came out. I was like, nobody's ever going to read a story about elves. I have her voice in my head, you know. <laughs> and then sure enough, 2001 rolls around and it's the biggest movie in the world ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> I was and that, like, well, I guess I better go ahead and write this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. I mean, and, and that's what gets me is that, uh, you know, like I said, with the, the inspirations, the first seeds of your inspiration for the Sons of Mill came way back then. Now, tell us a little bit about that inspiration. Well, specifically the things that like got to me as a child were the show Robin of Sherwood which I think they based that Kevin Costner 89 one on a lot of the, you know, the cultish like aspects of it, you know, mm -hmm. the like mysticism and the sorcery and all that kind of stuff. I think they took that from that show. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to write a story about a Robin Hood like character who, I mean, and even one of the characters in my book, his name is Robin for a reason. Um, but, you know, I wanted to write that story about it, about this, you know, woodsman-like character, kind of gruff and overlooked and, like, very, like, dissatisfied with society as it is. And I don't know, it just kind of germinated in my head. And then you see things like Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal and Legend, which I was obsessed with that movie when I was a kid. The whole <laughs> idea of the constant war between light and darkness and how neither it really exists. It's all shades of gray. So, I mean, these things really like sunk their hooks into me as a child. And uh, I don't know, they just kind of, Ben Maiden was born then, you know, and uh, I wanted to make him this imperfect character who people could relate to, but he had a higher soul. He had a higher purpose. There was something more to him than what he showed to the world. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> By the time I was in my twenties, you know, the Lord of the Rings was out. I was already like, okay, I gotta go. I gotta go really fast. I gotta write really quick. <laughs> and by 2003, I did it. You know, I was done and it was, I queried and I did pretty well. I mean, it was my very first try and I had almost had an agent, but you know, when you're 23, you don't want to be told how to write. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We already know how to do it. Just, just tell me how to sell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I was just a 23 year old. not, you know, I was like, no, it's my story. <laughs> so so this is really cool then. so you so you started the uh, the the story ideas came from way back then you finally got the uh the first version of this then back uh by 2003 uh the first version actually came um written down i had it all written down in notebooks and then i typed it up was in 98 and 99 okay and then i let it sit for a little bit and you know let people read it and scratch on it and I actually still have that original version and then I mailed it to myself. So it was in an envelope, not hasn't been touched since, you know, <sighs> 1999. Um, and then I rewrote it all over from the beginning uh, in 2002. And then I, that's when I started querying in 2003. 
And still, 2003, aside from the Lord of the Rings, like there wasn't too much fantasy like mine out there. Uh, mine is very heavily based in Celtic and Irish mythology. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I was seeing is like, you know, just very flighty, like uh, fantastical fables, like things from alien universes, things that are totally and wholly original. And mine was kind of based in a historical sphere. Like Mercedes Lackey, she can pull things out. I have, where does she get it from? I don't know, but it, it's always <laughs> brilliant. And then I started reading, I think, at a point when I did give up a little bit on, on writing The Sons of Meal, um, I started reading Juliette Marillier, who is a fantastic writer. Her prose is absolutely gorgeous. And she basically rewrites these Irish fairy tales. And I just love the way that she does them. Her execution is flawless. So I kind of, I guess, were, was influenced by them a little bit too, towards the third and fourth rewrite of this book. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, like I said, I haven't started the book yet myself, but I mean, the, the cover is gorgeous and it sounds yeah, my like friend an, Mike did that, Mike Baker. <laughs> oh, very, very nice. Can and, I throw that in there really quick? What's up, Mike? Absolutely. Yes. Hey, Mike. Great cover, buddy. Well, and and the idea, the the story itself sounds really, really cool. Uh, tell us, tell us about the story. What is the, uh, you know, what's your pitch? What what is the story? You know that that is like the most dreaded question for many authors. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what your story is about. Open a window, leaps out. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. The story takes place. Let's just say that Innisfail is a land embroiled in in conflict between three disparate city states essentially. And these city states all have a different idea of how uh, society should be governed and ruled. Two of these city states are mortal, i.e. human, and one is not. So the one that isn't happens to be the overlords and they control everything. It causes a lot of strife and discord, especially for the very uh, patrilineal feudalistic culture of the South, Bethany. So Tarangare is a matrilineal society that is a, a functioning uh, theocratic democracy. They, they all kind of get along so long as there's somebody above them, the high king, the Ari, who, you know, maintains this, this level of stasis between everybody, essentially. So into this political landscape that's kind of catchy and it's always like ready to catch fire, you have societies that live scattered out in the middle of nowhere in this giant forest called the Greensward. And um, they prefer that area because they're not beholden to anybody out there. And it's a rough life. It's tough. It's hard. But they don't have anybody to answer to. And one of the people that are that is very integral in this particular story and this the opening you know book of this story is Una. And Una is herself torn between the two mortal cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would much prefer not to be <laughs> uh, tied to either. She would mm-hmm. prefer to have her own freedom and live much in the same way a lot of these people in the Greensward prefer to live, which is with no authority. And she runs across this character. His name is Ben Maiden, who is a drunk. He's not a nice guy. He's uh, very selfish and vain. And he is, you know, he's basically friends with a bunch of poachers and criminals. And like, you know, he runs afoul of them. So he's out in the woods by himself. And they happen to come together, Ben Maiden and Una. And as that happens, because of that situation, they're both kind of cast into this burgeoning war that is ever present under the current of things on this continent because there's so much bitterness against the High King. So that is where the story essentially takes place. <laughs> um, well, that, that sounds that amazing. 
So probably the it, biggest, longest description <clears throat> ever, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all right. I mean, it, it really paints a picture then. So you got like the, the least likeliest of heroes uh, being thrown into such a position in, in this uh, epic fantasy. It sounds amazing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got, uh, you've already got two others, uh, some sequels to this uh, that you're mm-hmm. working on. They're going to be ready soon. They're done. They're done. Oh they're my actually, gosh. they're written. They're wow. drafted and ready to go. But um, I, you know, need to edit and stuff like that. And also I didn't want to release them all together because although that's recommended on Amazon, sometimes I needed more time to work on these two because as I said, this was all one story that I wrote about a year ago, like when mm. I did my last rewrite. Yeah. Um, so this would be my fourth rewrite, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I wrote 600,000 words all at once. So um, wow. I had parsed them out and I took a lot of time off of work. I, you know, suffered <laughs> to get this book done and it was the editing to, to split everything up and to, you know, pace it all out. I'm very meticulous with my story structure. It's got to be, you know, beginning, middle, end. Like there has to be a climax. And for every book, making sure that that climax is woven together correctly um, mm-hmm. and everything maintains the same narrative voice. Um, it, that was the most challenging part for me. But now these books are essentially, they're drafted, they're ready to go, their voice is established, the beginning, middle, and ends are established. It's just, uh, some minor tweaking that I would like to do. When I say minor, I mean it's probably going to take me another six months. But still, you know, <laughs> still, yeah. they should be out very, very soon. Yeah. Well, still, I mean that's that's awesome that you have them like basically almost ready. I mean, a lot of us will write the first book, put it out, and it's like, yeah, I've got so many others coming up. Um, I plan to start next month on book two. It's like, <laughs> you know, we're yeah. not we're not quite ready yet. <laughs> So, but this is. I've been this that is guy. Cool. Don't get me wrong. I just had enough. I was like, all right, this has got this. Is, I need this monkey off my back. <laughs> so it's get awesome. Do you have plans for uh, you know a, a future book that's outside this uh, this genre or a, a different actually, story? Actually, yes. I I actually have another series. Um, I believe I'm going to market it as a young adult series, but it's more for um, younger children. Mm. Um, so I would say between the ages of, uh, 10 and 14, you know what I mean? Um, there won't be heavy love triangle stuff that I tend to find in young adult fiction and tends to bother me quite a bit, (laughs) but, um, it's more of a, an encouraging, like motivating tale for young girls and boys and about how to handle, uh, mediocrity. Um, I don't want to give any more than that, but it is a fantasy and it's um, set in a magical world. And like, there's uh, some very interesting characters. The, the, the main character, Nyx, is a very strong female character. And um, she solves a lot of puzzles and she's very brilliant. And she has to drag along this spoiled brat, his name is Rye, of a nobleman. And uh, they end up, you know, solving a lot of mysteries and crimes together. So um, I don't know, that story should be coming out. <laughs> when I have this particular monkey off my back, <laughs> which would be maybe next year, I, I will be able to actually get that out. Um, and then I also have a screenplay that I wrote in 2009 that um, was actually pitched to HBO. <laughs> it's a really long story. Um, and they liked it. But, you know, as an unknown author, it's um, it's kind of hard. You know, they're not going to finance any any kind of period piece. They're not going to take an unknown a uh, writer who's never been, you know, anywhere before. So I'm, you know, essentially a nobody. But well, you know, um, you, you I never like to novelize that as well. 
Yeah, well, you never know. I mean, it's we're in a new age of entertainment and creativity and the indie boom. I don't know. Some people are saying it's coming down. I think it's still taking off. And I think we're... I agree. <clears throat> I, I think agree. we're... Uh, the, the indies out there, I think, are right at the cusp of... Uh, it's not going to be long before, you know, Netflix or somebody is going to pick up somebody who's... Yeah, I just wrote this book last year. It came out. It was an immediate hit. And all of a sudden... Wow! Look at this. My show's on Netflix. Uh, it's yeah. It's bound to happen sooner or later. I think this is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. I, I agree. And I, uh, if you look at Patrick Rothfuss, he wrote in the Name of the Wind, which is a great The King Killer Chronicles. Um, mm. I, they're fantastic. Um, I love those books, and I honestly feel that uh, The Sons of Meal is kind of a good bevy balance between uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Very good kind and Juliet Marillier. So they're kind of, if you're a fan of any of those, or even Jacqueline Carey, like with the Cushiel's Dart series, that's very well done. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the way that I've crafted <laughs> the Sons of Neil. But Patrick Rothfuss himself, I believe, has sold the King Killer Chronicles to Netflix. So, I mean, fingers crossed where I'm going to actually get to see that on the screen. I don't know what I'll do with myself. I'll be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of your favorite books gets made into that. But I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. Netflix, Amazon. Um, I do know that Amazon is developing a Lord of the Rings series. Um, yes. It's supposed to be the most expensive <laughs> show that was ever made. So we'll see how that goes too. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, let the audience know how can we how can we find you online? How can we follow you? I am on Twitter at uh, lm underscore revere. That's r i v i e r e. Um, I am on Instagram at lm revere underscore author. I am on Facebook at LM Revere Author. And uh, you can find my work at Amazon.com slash author slash LM Revere. Um, I'm also on Goodreads too. So um, if you are a fan of Goodreads and you like to reach out, and I'm actually currently doing a giveaway on Goodreads right now. So I'm so Ken, happy you said that. It. I'm so yeah. happy you said that. Yes, I wanted to make sure and touch on that too, that you have a, uh, an amazing giveaway because your episode's about going to be coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, and we still, there's still lots of time for a giveaway on Goodreads for people to come and find you. Go ahead and tell us about that real quick. Yeah, on Goodreads.com, if you go to The Sons of Meal, book one of the Innisfail Cycle, or if you just search my name, L.M. Revere, you will find, like if you scroll through the bottom of my author page, you'll find a giveaway. Um, I'm offering 10 books that'll be autographed to 10 lucky winners. So if you enter the giveaway, I think there's a good chance that you might be one of them. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, give it a try. It's a free book. It's an autographed book, and you'll get a free paperback, free paperback copy of The Sons of Mail. And also, I'll provide links and stuff for any of the artwork that I'll, that's about to be released soon. That'll be a map of, um, I might do t-shirts and also uh, bookmarks and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. And we'll have, well, of course, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. And yeah, everybody, make sure you go out, get signed up for that giveaway, because you're going to want to have your own physical autograph copy of this book so that when Amazon starts publishing or starts, you know, uh, producing this movie, uh, you've got the book. You'll like, yes, I've got my copy of it right here. He said with hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we all, we all have that same hope. And I mean, if it, it's, you know, it, for me at the bottom of my heart, it's, uh, I definitely wish, you know, every author that comes on here the most success. And I would be totally excited if, something like that came up for anybody on there. And I mean, why not you too? You know, I mean, of course. No, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, we all have the same chances. Uh, you know, it just takes 
one lightning strike and it could happen. I hope so. I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Miss Revere, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had a wonderful time talking with you and I'm going to hand the floor over for L.M. Revere and the Sons of Mill. All right. I'm going to read from chapter two, small description, uh, NE 508, 14, Dorsawa, Drawada. Uh, Dorsawa would be the month of October. Uh, a 500-ton galley bobbed alongside the jetty, awaiting passengers, goods, and crew. Una was so close now, she could taste the linseed and tar at the back of her throat. She'd been wringing her hands in queue since first light, eager to get on with it. The Kelpie wasn't what she would consider an impressive vessel in her limited reckoning of such things. Years of bad weather in the Straits of Mananen had clearly taken their toll on the old girl. The ship's rigging sagged from three puny masts. Patched sails were hastily strapped to her creaking crossbeams. Bits of frayed rope and sailcloth streamed from the mast like stockings on a clothesline. The Kelpie's starboard side was pocked with poorly tarred holes, some perilously near the waterline. Una didn't have the luxury to worry whether or not the ship was comfortably seaworthy. The Kelpie was the only available boat for the next few weeks. As winter tiptoed into Innisfail, the shallow straits between Air and Kimry would clog with ice. Shipping and transport would dwindle into a trickle for the next month, then halt altogether by the following. Only heavy ice crushers and barges would dare the straits of Mandanen in winter. Most of those were unfit for human cargo. This galley was Una's last chance for a clean escape from air. If she didn't board now, she'd be forced to travel south to the port at Bethany or west to Ten Bells to book passage at a later date. Neither option was an attractive one. The first would bring her well within her greatest enemy's reach. The latter would require many days of travel, costly accommodations, and weeks of potential waiting. Both avenues were too dangerous to incite enthusiasm. She had to leave now, today, before it was too late. So far, so good. From here at the port of Drauda, the Boyne slogged a further five miles east to the Straits. The distance was not too great to taste the salt in the air, nor smell the decaying seaweed dumped into the river's mouth at each high tide. Disused to the gastric stench of brackish water and vegetative river mud, she covered her mouth and nose with a gloved hand. Dockhands called crates and barrels, overflowing with salted mackerel, whiting, turnips, cabbages, and leeks up the Kelpie's gangplank. The cacophony of competing odors intensified a hundredfold as her queue wound up the ramp. She could get used to this smell. She might even learn to love it. She would endure whatever she must to be free. The crush of people waiting to board was another matter. There were over three scores standing on the wharf, herself included. Most of these folks were small-time merchers, workmen, or agrarian migrants. Who didn't see how this many people could fit inside a ship this small, never mind comfortably? Few passengers carried much in the way of luggage, but some did have children or small animals in tow. A grizzled, middle-aged man in front of her held a goat leased to one hand and a wire cage bearing two hens in the other. Beside her, a young mother clung to two unruly children. The boy eyed Una with frank, unblinking curiosity. She wiggled her fingers at him. The child grinned around the drool-slathered fist he crammed into his mouth. In the distance, the citadel loomed, stern and oppressive. From the center of that menacing fortress rose the cloister of the eternal flame. Its seamless granite edifice glinted red in the sun. Una shivered at the sight. If she'd never had to set foot there again, would be too soon. A commotion at the inner gate caught her attention. The harbor master made a beeline for waiting passengers, holding a wadded document in one meaty hand. He didn't look happy, nor was he alone. The black and gold caresses of the Citadel Guard dogged his heels. Gasping, Una whipped her head around. There were four of them, she noted with rising panic. They shoved through passengers at the rear line, irrespective of age or disposition. An elderly woman cried out as she was knocked to her knees on the dock. The crowd parted for the guards like a stream diverted by a large stone. Una kept to her pace at the rear of the queue, her head down. Willing herself small and insignificant as possible, she tugged her cowl low over her forehead. The harbor master stomped past. 
Relax, she commanded herself. If you appear anxious, they will wonder why. She sent a surge of spark into her blood to calm her nerves. She wasn't going to panic, not now. She'd made it this far, hadn't she? Just a bit further, and she'd be out of their reach. Gone, free, safe. Breathe, she chanted inwardly. Everything is fine. They have no reason to suspect you if you stay calm. Upon first glance, she was just another grain migrant worker awaiting transport to the colonies. Her papers were in order. Gone had seen to them, along with the coins bulging from the purse strapped to her thigh. An official union seal was stamped into her patent of labor. Her boarding pass read Kea Fulney. Kea was an average girl from the Midlands, shipping out to seat work in Swansea like so many others on the wharf this morning. She would make it. She had to. If only the Kelpie would start boarding. One of the guardsmen grabbed a girl at the front of the line. She was forced to remove her cap and tatty cloak. Luna's heart skipped a beat. A cold knot of fear hardened in her belly. She watched the girl comply, her face streaked with tears. Her parents were held at arm's length while the forward guardsman searched her. He was not gentle. His gauntleted fists rent the girl's sleeves to her elbows. When nothing but her sun-kissed brown skin was revealed, he shunted her away and reached for another. The harbor master paced alongside the crowd. Fat beads of sweat slid down in his nose. He held up a bit of vellum with its bright red seal. The red worm of the Union of Commons. Nema's seal. Una would know it anywhere. For a moment, all she could do was stare at the scarlet wax, her pulse louder than any drum. This here, he bellowed over their heads. Be a warrant for the arrest of one Una Mora. We'll thank you, lasses, to cooperate with our search by rolling up your sleeves before you make your way up the ramp. If you resist in any way, one of these men will arrest you. Raise your hands if you heard me, please. A host of dirty, shaking fingers floated upward. Una took a step back. No, no, no. She was too close. Gone assured her that no one would come looking for her until she was well underway. How did these guards have a warrant already? Why did it bear Nima's seal? Every second that passed made Una's nerves sing with renewed anxiety. Had Gone betrayed her? He must have. But why? Had Aoife discovered their plan and informed Nima? That was entirely possible, likely even. Aoife was a loyal snake, clever and ruthless. Ahead, the Kelpie sails rolled down. The ship would sail soon, with or without its passengers. Una might have known. Things had been going too smoothly. What's she done then? asked the matron beside her, hefting her son high on her hip. Her antsy daughter wriggled around her knees. This girl you're searching for. As she spoke, another woman was jerked from the line and forced to partially strip. A second guardsman moved in from the opposite side, jerking hoods and hats off of every female head he approached. It wouldn't be long before it was Una's turn. She closed her eyes on the silent prayer. So much for her easy escape. Raise your hand, please, missus, so I know who's speaking, boomed the harbor master, holding the warrant over his eyes to block the sun. I've little ends here, master, the matron snarked. I've no free hands to spare. Answer the bleeding question. What's this dread girl done requires the manhandle and a respectable woman like us, eh? A murmur of eyes rumbled through the crowd. Women did not expect such treatment in Tarangar. Her neighbor stared straight at Una, her interest plain. Una took a step backward. She's a primo of the cloister, missus. Then women don't deign to tell us men nothing. They want her. That's all I know, he replied, signaling the nearest guardsman to follow her voice. Una shot the matron one fleeting glance. To her surprise, she winked. Next thing Una knew, she was holding the woman's sticky, squirming son. The little boy blew wet bubbles into her ear while the mother made a grand show of rolling up her sleeves on a dramatic put-upon sigh. The guardsman neared. Una was bustled further down the line. The matron raised her arms, making a grand show of her bare wrists. When he comes, hand my son back to me and go, milady, she said over her shoulder. I'll keep him busy, long as I can. How did you know? Una was dumbfounded. Yours isn't a face, I'd forget. I, said a nearby man, me neither. He's close, milady, pass the boy, then get behind me. I'll call it for you. Una didn't have an opportunity to thank either of them, for as soon as the guardsmen approached, the woman wrenched her son out of Una's arms and placed herself firmly between them. The man who'd offered his help swung Una into the mob by the waist. 
then dove headfirst into the soldier's chest. Her defenders tumbled to the dock with the guardsmen, a tangle of curses and fumbling limbs. Una didn't waste a moment of, of the reprieve they'd bought her. She clawed through the rear of the crowd toward the drow gate. A shout went up at her back. Long live the Mora, long live the queen, cheered the matron. Her chant was taken up by some. Others booed or jeered her for it. Una was nearly to the arch when the harbor master singled her out. The gate, she's headed for the market. Heavy footsteps pounded down the wharf after her. She dumped all the sparks she could spare into her legs and sped on, ignoring the dumbstruck faces in her way. Hands reached out to halt her. She dodged, kicked, or slapped anything in her path. Under the arc, she took a sharp left toward the market, then another which would lead her back to the city. She had no choice now but to run for the ward gate. The Navin High Road would lead her west to Ten Bells, her next best option. As long as she remained in air, anything could happen. Stop her. Stop that woman, barked one of the pursuers. Una barreled through the market, driving through the people and bounding over impediments in her way. A quarter mile up, she cut a second corner at Oisin, then another at Penny Royal. Thankfully, there weren't many people out this early in the morning, save workmen and vendors loading their shops and stalls. The streets were mostly clear. Rounding the intersection at Balmoral, she veered left into a narrow alley. Her lungs burned like lamp oil, but she could not stop. The men chasing her had much longer legs, unfortunately. On Eam, her progress toward the ward gate was abruptly halted by a large stone wall. Too late to stop, she ran into the wall nose first. Her rump struck the cobbles with an uncomfortable crack. Stars swirled before her eyes like multifaceted gems. She groaned and rolled onto her side, tasting blood. Newly cut stones were stacked under the scaffolding above her head. How could she have known they were working on this end of the citadel? This was the first time she'd set foot outside of the cloister in years. Groaning, she held a hand under her streaming nostrils. There you are. Her ears rang. Shaking her head to clear it, she pushed herself to her feet. Una glared up at two Citadel guards. One of them unwound a bit of rope from his forearm and slunk toward her with an oily grin. He was an odd-looking fellow, spindly limbs but portly round the middle, like a spider. Careful, his companion huffed from the corner. She'll kill you if she gets a hand on you. Don't rush. Una tilted her head. That wasn't a Tarantanese accent, was it? Come to think of it, these men didn't even look the part. Neither were exceptionally fit, and the Citadel did not tolerate slope of any variety. The pair wheezed like they hadn't run in a decade or more. Who are you? She wiped her face against her sleeve and slowly removed her gloves. The larger man watched her do it, his expression wary. Connor, like that time in Innisport, yeah, but easy. She's got fight in her, I can see it. No worries, boss, said the spider. So do I. Una leered at him. Your friend was right, Connor. If you touch me, I'm going to kill you. Another man thudded around the corner behind them. This one was probably the largest person she'd ever seen. Instinctively, she jumped back a pace. Boss, he rasped, holding his quaking ribs. Guards are coming. Hold there, Fergus, sighed the balding man. We got her now. Just make sure they don't come this way. Boss, Fergus droned, sparing Una the briefest disinterested glance. He ambled off like a sleepy bear. She heard his heavy rhythmic steps for quite a while after he'd gone. Connor gave her a sloppy grin. He swung a makeshift lasso toward her. She stepped out of its testing path with a hiss. Careful, Connor, I mean it. The Duke don't want her harmed. Steaming heat filled her cheeks. The Duke? That's right, Missy, the leader told her. Your dad wants you home. Where are you going to go in that rickety little goat thingy, eh? The colonies? He blew a wet stream of air over his lower lip. Don't think a fine lady like you would like Swansea much. Everywhere you go stinks a shite and the flies come at you in clouds. Bethany's a sight better, I can tell you. A damn sight better, Connor chuckled. Bloody buggers would gobble up all that soft skin of yours right up. What a shame that would be, huh? Connor, mind your manners now, warned his boss. That there's a princess. She's worth a hundred to any one of us patriarchal drivel, Una spat. That's prima mora to you, scum. The leader pulled a face. A thousand pardons, milady. Connor, grab her, will ya? We need to get home. 
She kept her eyes on Connor as he advanced. Withdrawing a dagger from her belt, Connor laughed. I like her, Raleigh. She's awful cute. You're not going to think so when she melts the skin from your bones. Connor shrugged as if to say, sorry, can't play anymore, and he lashed out at her face with his rope. She swerved aside and dipped forward to plunge her blade into Connor's reaching hand. She would have connected, too, had she been quicker. He sideswept her clumsy brow, then smashed his elbow into her gut. The breath burst out of her lungs in a rush, but she dug her fingers into the cloth at his elbow anyway. He couldn't shake her off in time. Burn, she whispered. Instantly, the fabric sparked and caught fire. Connor spun aside on a howl, slapping at the smoking wool with his free hand. Raleigh, their leader, threw up his hands. What in the hell did I say, you bleeding idiot? Una kicked Connor while he was down in her hurry to leap past him. Grunting in pain, he snatched at her heel. She tripped over him with a cry. Raleigh was on her before she could roll aside. He tamped down on her fingers with a booted heel. She heard two distinct snaps and screamed. Raleigh's left hand grasped at her hair while Connor twisted her ankle about 90 degrees the wrong way. Sorry, Missy, but orders are orders. Raleigh smashed her face into the dirty cobbles hard. It wasn't stars that crossed her vision this time. Waves rolled out of the dark crevices of her mind like ripples over a silent lake shore. A tiny dilapidated galley sailed into that obsidian curtain, its tattered sails billowing over an empty deck. As it passed, all hope of liberation faded to black. And that was L.M. Revere reading a sample chapter from her breakthrough book, The Sons of Mill, book one of the Innisfail Cycle. Don't forget to follow the links uh, so you can follow her online, check out her website, uh, Amazon, Goodreads, and yes, the Goodreads, get over there, sign up for her contest so that way you can win yourself a signed copy of this. Uh, the ebook is on sale for a couple more months. Leave a review for her book after you read it. You're going to love it. Leave a review for the show, and uh, namely, don't forget to subscribe, because that way if you subscribe to the show, next week you'll end up with a new episode with a new author, another book, and another sample chapter. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.